If you can now uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark 13, we'll get into the passage for today and then get John up here. I will caution you, this is a good passage that has some length to it, so bear with me and be gracious. Uh, All right, so Mark 13, we're going to read through verse 31, so... As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the wall. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley of the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go down to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to local councils and beaten In the synagogues, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be preached to all nations. But when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of the roof must not go down to the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for the pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight, your flight will not be in the winter. For there will be greater anguish in these days than in any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. 
I've warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you will know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you will know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Well, happy Valentine's Day. We go from financial update to eschatology. Uh, this is, uh, this is, what a passage. <laughs> what a passage here. We, uh, Mark is written for disciples. We say this every week. And even these confusing parts, these are for disciples. This is for us. Mark's gospel is a roadmap. This is, this is a guide for how we're to follow Jesus. Specifically, this passage is very much a guide for how to follow Jesus in crazy times. This section in Mark, uh, this is what's known as the Olivet Discourse. This is, in Mark, there's only two sections, really, of lengthy red letters. Who has a red letter Bible? Who has a, like a text, like a actual leather Bible, and that's good. Who's using a digital device? (laughs) I'm in that camp this morning, (laughs) most mornings. Um, Yeah, there's only two real sections in Mark of long, lengthy red letters. Uh, Mark is very abrupt. It's very, he's just going through it. And so there's two sections. This is the second one. The first was in Mark 4. This section, this uh, discourse, happens in between this long section that we just closed out in the temple and moving into the passion, the trial and the passion narrative. It's sort of a bridge section in between those two narratives. And uh, before we get into the text this morning, I wanted to give you a tool for how to deal with some of these passages this is, what, this is what I would call um, telescoping, okay? Uh, maybe I have mountains on, on the brain. I'm, I'm going up to Mount Lassen this week. I'm going to go do some snowshoeing. Um, but I'm thinking about mountains, and what, what happens, this, this telescoping idea, if you look at a mountain range, right, specifically if you use binoculars or a telescope, Everything looks in one plane, right? So it looks like the mountains are all kind of in line. But then when you fly over them, you guys ever flown over mountain ranges? Remember when we used to be able to get in planes and fly? 
<laughs> when, you, when you fly over a mountain range, those peaks that when you're looking at them look all in a row, they're actually miles apart from each other. If you look at a topographical map or something, you'll notice that they're not actually in line. And even if they look close to each other, one could be vastly larger than the other. I think that's the best way of dealing with these passages, some of these prophecy passages. In, oftentimes in biblical prophecy, this is how it works. So a prophecy is written or it's spoken, and there might be multiple fulfillments. A good example of this is when Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in Luke uh, four. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He says that today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But if you read that passage in Luke 4, Jesus only references, he only reads part of the prophecy. Uh, <laughs> he only reads the, part, the bits about bl- the blind seeing, the captives and the prisoners getting set free. He leaves out the part about judgment and vengeance. He leaves all that part out. Why? The reason is this principle of of prophetic telescoping. The blessing section was a result of his first coming. It was relevant right then and there. The judgment ultimately will happen at the second coming. Both are true. It's really in, in your perspective and the way you look at these texts. That's just a tool, hopefully, to help you when you read these passages. So as you're, as you're going through the refuge rhythms, and this week, like, we're going to actually spend the last section of verse 13 next week. So read this again. Take some time. This passage, we, we don't have time to actually go in depth in this passage. I'm not even going to attempt it. But I encourage you, take some time and read through this and just ask the Lord. Many of the things in this section, in this discourse from Jesus, uh, were fulfilled in A.D. 70. A lot of what happens here happened in A.D. 70. Who knows what happened in A.D. 70? I know the kids aren't in here, so normally I would try to... What happened? The destruction of the temple. A.D. 70, the conclusion of a couple-year war, Rome destroyed the temple in Israel. If you read the accounts, it's horrific. They sieged the city. They destroyed it. It is, it's worth reading about. It's, it's intense. Some of this, I think, was it and is directly related to that siege of Jerusalem. Some of this has to do with the end of age <laughs> and eschatology. And I think... Um, I think it takes, we, we have to pray through this. Jesus is giving us all, this, all of this for a reason, and we should give it the time, effort, and energy, the prayer of actually seeking the Lord as to what this means and where it applies. However, Jesus is not interested in giving us timelines or a way of predicting how and when this all goes down. That's really what he's not trying to do here. Okay, let's, let's jump into this a little bit. 
This whole section opens up with something that I alluded to last week. I pointed out last week, uh, and it has to do with this growing theme that has progressed through the, the, the narrative of the temple. As they're leaving the temple, they're headed outside of the city. One of the disciples looks and comments and says, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. The temple's majesty, it's awesomeness, the the size of the construction caused this disciple excitement. They were uh, charmed by its size, its beauty, its economic might. And Jesus, he he sort of rebukes them for their reverence. It's kind of it's interesting the way he says. Um, so they, do you see these great buildings? Jesus responds, do you see these great buildings? When he says, when he tells them to look, I think what he's saying there is, take another look. Take another good look at these great stones, this building. That word to see, it means to look with perception. Jesus bids them, I think, to see beyond the glitzy religiosity, the strength and the majesty of this building. What they did not see was the temple was barren. The temple was a whitewashed tomb, to quote Jesus, about the the religious leaders. Its system was broken. Jesus makes this stunning prophecy. He says the the entire thing, complete and total destruction of the temple. He says there will be, there will, uh, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That's intense. This is a massive um, prophecy that did actually come true. The temple was the, and we've talked about this in the past, it was the religious, economic, political center of everything that the Jewish people knew and relied on for centuries. This was what it was all about. This was the center of everything for them. And Jesus says, it's all coming down. Every stone is going to be torn down. So naturally, just like we would, the disciples have questions, right? If somebody, if, if somebody said the White House of the Capitol building is going to be destroyed entirely, not one brick is going to be standing, we would have questions, right? That's what's going on here. The disciples have questions. Like, wait, whoa, 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 one, one second. What's going on here? <laughs> so they ask Jesus. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be accomplished. It stands out to me that when Jesus had predicted previously his own death, when Jesus said that he would be handed over to the Romans and crucified, no one asked him when it would happen. In fact, Mark 9, 32 says that the disciples were afraid to ask him anything about his own death. But now... In this prophecy, this declaration of the destruction of the temple, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. 
Alarm bells start going off in their head. They want to know when. There was a clear connection in their mind between the destruction of the temple and the end of time. The temple was the center of their known universe. It was the center of everything they knew. So the boys, the disciples, wanted to know exactly when is this going to occur? And then what are the signs going to be? So they could be prepared and perhaps escape from the coming catastrophe. Jesus, in typical Jesus form, gives them no single sign. What he instead gives in this whole section is this sort of flustering hodgepodge of signs. Some, Jesus says, are true. Others are false. Others are just facts of life. None of them are useful for predicting the time of the end. He therefore, he doesn't give them any secret information that they want. Instead, he gives them what they need, which is, I think, very typical of Jesus. What they needed was instruction on how to discern the signs of the times that they will be in. They needed discernment so that they would not be disheartened by coming persecution. They wouldn't be panicked by wars and chaos and famines and and plagues and epidemics. They wouldn't be fooled by false appearances and false messiahs. They wouldn't be led astray by false prophets during uncertain and trying times when they wouldn't find a prophet to say what they want them to say. They needed discernment to to distinguish between what had to do with the end of their own little world and what ultimately had to do with the end of ages. Like I said, there is so much going on in this passage that we, we don't, we just don't have the time on a Sunday morning. We could take weeks and walk through this. Um, and we're just, we don't have time. This deserves a cup of coffee and your, your quiet time. Sit open with your Bible this week uh, and talk to Jesus about this this whole passage. I think Mark knew that because you get this little editorial note, right? Let the reader understand. Mark adds this, like you see there's a break in your red letters. A little editorial note there. Mark says, let the reader understand. That's almost like Mark saying, like, just stop for a second and think about what I'm saying. Think about what Jesus is saying here. So I do want to leave us with four key lessons. What does this mean for us as an apprentice of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus? What are, what are some lessons we can learn from this passage? For to be forewarned in each of these cases is to be forearmed. I think we are to take heed. We're to listen to what Jesus is saying. The common thread running through this whole passage, this whole section, is do not be alarmed. Don't be caught off guard. Take heart. The point here is faithfulness. The point here for us, for you and I, is to be found faithful. No matter what comes, no matter how it develops, no matter what happens, 
in the world to be found faithful to what the Lord calls you to do. So four key lessons here. Number one, we cannot rely on outward symbols, nationalistic pride, or hope. This is what happened in verse 2 when the disciples were enamored by the apparent physical dominance and beauty of the temple. There's sort of a ring of patriotic pride in this disciple. And Jesus says it's an empty facade. The temple, all that it symbolized was hollow and the system that it represented was coming to an end. We cannot get caught off guard and caught up in fascination with symbols, with icons, or other temporal things that we seem and we make out to be more important than they actually are. But ultimately, they have no bearing in the age to come or in real life things. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing us for the day when things that are familiar and and all of the familiar outward religi- religiosity, out, the outward political help that was there for them was taken away. I think that's very relevant for us. We need to, we need to be ready and aware, what does Christianity look like if there is no outward political help for us? We should be thinking this way. How do we still practice what it, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in the midst of, of when all of our systems and structures that we count on fail. I'm not predicting any of that. I'm not leaning on either side there. I'm just saying that's, I think, what this text leads us to think through. Number two, we cannot be deceived by false messiahs, false prophets, or even signs and wonders. This might kind of seem odd to us. Like, there's not people running around claiming to be Jesus Maybe there is, but uh, that was actually happening for these disciples in the, in the first century. There was people claiming to be the Messiah. As, as Rome is bearing down on the city, about ready to destroy the city, there was literally people claiming to be the Messiah, trying to stir up revolution. So this could mean literal people claiming to be the return of Jesus. Totally could be. Um, or, and this is what I think is more, potentially more relevant for us right now, this could be, I think, a false messiah, any idea, concept, or person that we give the place that only Jesus deserves. Any untrue idea or concept of who or what Jesus is. We need to consistently go back to the scriptures for the full picture of who Jesus really is. It is possible that we, you guys heard this statement, to to have Jesus in our own image. It's possible that we come up with an idea of who we think Jesus is based off what we'd like him to be or what feels comfortable or what is normative in our cultural surroundings And it's just not what's true to the scripture. This is a constant danger that we 
don't simply open the scripture and listen to their testimony about Jesus. We can make Jesus in our own image. It's usually domesticated Jesus, somebody that fits what's comfortable for us. Any Jesus who isn't both Savior and Lord, sacrificial lamb of God, and reigning king cannot be the Jesus of the Gospels. He has to be both. And any Jesus who does not call us to radical, sacrificial, yes, even painful discipleship is not the Jesus of the Scripture. Amen? So quiet without the kids in here. Number three. We can't be distracted by world turmoil. This is the the section here where Jesus is talking about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and famines. We cannot be alarmed and caught off guard by, by crisis going on around us. The Christian's heart must not be troubled. John 14, 1 says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is, this is our challenge. Like, we can't be caught off guard by the chaos going on around us. Jesus says that when crazy things happen on the global scene, these troubles are only a necessary stage. They're going to happen. Stuff is going to happen, right? Paul has a similar... So Jesus says that the, the, he uses this word, they're the beginning of labor pains. Paul has a similar concept that he describes creation moaning in labor, waiting for its consummation. Romans 8.22. Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We are the first, first fruit of the Spirit, groaning in, inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For our hope is for, the, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. So Jesus and Paul use this idea of like labor pains. There's... There's always, the goal of those labor pains, right, is the joy at the end there. I mean, I haven't actually personally experienced that, but we have five kids. And there's always, there's a joy at the end of those labor pains. There's something that you're looking for. That's, this is the concept of a telos. There's, there's an end here. There's a goal where this is going. We know the end of the story. That's the beauty of these prophecy passages. We know where this whole thing is going. So we can have hope. We can take heart. We can have courage. No matter what happens around us, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, global pandemics, famines, 
financial collapse, whatever happens, we can have confidence that God is faithful and is moving the course of history forward towards the redemption of all things. I'm convinced that right now, the biggest distraction for disciples of Jesus is spending too much time, too much energy, too much effort focused on the 24-hour news cycle and what's going on in the world that we're not even aware of what's happening with our brother and sister, let alone our neighbor that's outside of the church. There is so much going on in the world, wars, rumors of wars, political issues, global pandemics, all of it, that it can capture our attention And this is, I think, the goal, the demonic goal. Capture our attention to where we don't even see what's going on right in front of us, in our family, in our church, in our community. I'm not saying any of that isn't real or valid or important. All I'm saying is I think when Jesus' point here is that we cannot get caught off guard. This is just a natural fact of life. Crazy things are going to happen. There is going to be the pandemics. This is part of, part of world history. But we know the end of the story. And we can take heart and we can, with confidence, do what the Lord has called us to do and be faithful. That's the goal, to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do in the midst of whatever comes. You guys okay? I got one more. Do not, this is number four, do not be tripped up by unexpected or potentially severe persecution. I'll have to be honest with you guys. This is not something that we're dealing with here yet. This could come. This probably, I think Jesus says, will come. Jesus is warning his disciples that there would be persecution. And this will increase as time goes on. We cannot, the disciple of Jesus cannot get caught off guard when you or I endure persecution. Okay. The whole point, I think, of this whole section, I'm going to close this out here in a minute. The whole point here, I think, is found the second part of verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. No matter what happens, no matter how things develop, no matter how crazy things get, what persecution comes, false prophets, whatever, this is the point. Will you be found faithful? It reminds me of Jesus in Luke 18, verse 8, says, Nevertheless, will this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you be found faithful? No matter what comes, what circumstances develop, will you be found faithful? That's the point. This, this is the takeaway for us, right? This is the challenge. It's like, no matter what happens, it's all crazy. Am I being faithful? Am I doing what the Lord has called me to do? 
Am I loving my neighbor well? Am I living out the implications of the gospel? The point is faithfulness. We know the end of the story. Let's be faithful. This week, as I was preparing this, I read this quote from A.W. Tozer, and it stood out. He said, Pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. But real faith knows only one way and will gladly allow itself to be stripped of any secondary way or makeshift substitute. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. You have to go all in. That's what Jesus is about. That's what Jesus, his point here is that we are all in. We're found faithful. This week, I want to encourage you, we're going to, we're going to focus on the last section of this passage next week. So just as part of our refuge rhythms, read through this passage a couple times this week. Spend some time, a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and think through this passage. Way too much to cover in a sermon. Pray through it. Think through it. I want to encourage you to reflect on these four warnings. I'm going to go through them one more time real quick. Are we finding ourselves relying on outward symbols, outward situations? Are we serving Jesus and Jesus alone? Are we distracted by world turmoil, chaos around us? And are we or would we be tripped up if we were caught by unexpected persecution? And ultimately, let's be found faithful. Okay, church? Let's serve faithfully no matter what comes. No matter what situations or circumstances, political pressure, social pressure, whatever, we need to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do in our community. Amen? I'm going to pray and worship team come back up. Jesus, I thank you that you told us beforehand so we can be forewarned that things do not always go as planned. Things do not always go the way we want them to, but you are faithful. And you have accomplished all that needs to be accomplished. You are good, God, and we ask that you would help us to live faithfully. You would help us to be obedient to what you've called us to do in this time and place, no matter what comes. No matter what situations and circumstances we face, that we would be faithful and obedient to our Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. I ask that you would help us to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.